Section 1, Azizi and Francis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Hirsch. Hands love clasped through charmed hours, feet that pressed the bruised flowers. Is there naught for you to dare that ye may his signet wear? You will not be likely to find Azizi marked on any ordinary map of Italy. It is far too unimportant a place for that. That is to say, geographically unimportant. Azizi lies halfway up the Apennines. The houses, which are built of a curious kind of rosy-tinted stone, press so closely together, one above the other on the rocks, so that each house seems trying to look over its neighbor's head. The result of this is that from every window you have one of the grandest views of Europe. Above, the mountains tower into the sky, and yet they are not so close as to suggest crowding. Beneath lies stretched out the Umbrian plain, the center and heart of Italy. With its rich harvests, plentiful streams, and luxuriant vegetation, it might well be called the Eden of Italy. The atmosphere is clear and transparent, and the nights, with their dark blue cloudless skies, studded with myriads of shining sparkling stars, are better imagined than described. It was midway up one of the narrow, steep little streets in one of those rosy-tinted houses that Francis Bernardon was born about six hundred years ago. Only, he wasn't Francis just then. He was John. As a matter of fact, there was no such name as Francis known in Azizi, and some think it was invented there, and then for the first time by Pietro Bernardon. When his baby was born, Pietro was far away, traveling in France. He was a merchant, and his business often took him away from home. As there were no letters or telegrams to tell him the news, it was not till he got back that he found he had a baby son who had been duly christened John at the parish church. But Pietro had no idea of letting a little matter of this kind stand in his way, and he told his wife, Pica, that the baby was not to be John, but Francis or Francesca. And Francis he was. The neighbors didn't like it at all. Why should Pietro set himself up to be so much better than other folks that he must needs invent a name for his baby? In what was his baby better than any of theirs? And so forth. Oh, Azizi was a very natural little town. From his babyhood these neighbors sat in judgment on little Francis. There was nothing much about him that pleased them. They disapproved of his dress, which was rich and fine, and always according to the latest fashion, of his idle, free, careless ways, of his handsome face, of his superabundance of pocket money. "'Your son lives like a prince,' a neighbor said once to Pica. 
"'What is that to you?' retorted Pika. "'Our son does indeed live like a prince. "'Have patience. "'The day may come when he will live like the son of God.' "'But in truth that day seemed long in coming, "'and the neighbors might well be forgiven "'when they said among themselves "'that young Francis Bernadon was being utterly spoiled. "'It was quite true.' Frank, gay, good-natured, easily led, fond of all kinds of beauty and soft living, the life of indulgence and ease and pleasure that he was brought up in was not the one that would best fit him for the battle of life. Pietro was rich, and he was also exceedingly proud of his handsome gay son, it delighted him more than anything else to hear people say that he looked like a prince of royal blood, and he denied him nothing that money could procure. As he grew up into young manhood, Francis nominally assisted his father in his business as cloth merchant. His duties, however, were very light, and he was known more as a leader among the gay youth of Azizi than as a rising businessman. He was always chosen as the leader of the sumptuous feasts that the young men of that era whiled away the evening hours with. After the feast was over, Francis used to lead his band out into the streets, and there, under those glorious starry skies, they finished the night singing the then-popular love-songs of France and Italy. As Francis was intensely musical, and possessed a very fine voice, he was indispensable at these revelries. He was almost twenty-five before he had his first serious thought. Up to then, life had been an enchanted dream. Francis, with his handsome face, beautiful courteous manners, and full pockets the center of it, he had seen life outside Assisi, for he had fought for his country and suffered imprisonment. He had traveled a little, was fairly well educated, and what was rare in those days, spoke and sang in the French language. Of God he seems to have had no knowledge whatever. His kindly, polite nature led him to much almsgiving, but that was merely the outcome of a disposition which hated to see suffering. Francis' lack of religion is not much to be wondered at when we look at the state of the church in his time. Christianity had become old. Its first freshness had worn off, and its primitive teaching had fallen into decay. A Christian's life was an easy one, and the service rendered was more of church-going and almsgiving than purity of heart and life. In many instances, those who filled the office of teacher and preacher were corrupt and lived only for themselves, and the whole tendency of the times was to the most extreme laxity. When almost twenty-five years old, Francis had a very severe illness, for weeks he lay at death's door, and for weeks after all danger was past, he was confined to the house too weak to move. As his weary convalescence dragged itself along, 
one absorbing desire filled his mind. If only he could get out of doors, and stand once again in the sunshine, and feast his eyes on the landscape below him. Francis, like all Italians, was a passionate lover of his native country, and at last, one day, he wearily and painfully crawled out. But what was the matter? The sunshine was there. It flooded the country. The breeze that was to bring him new life and vigor played among his chestnut curls. The mountains towered in their noble grandeur. The wide Umbrian plain lay stretched out at his feet. The skies were as blue and the flowers as gay and sweet as ever his fancy painted them. But the young man turned away with a sickening sense of disappointment and failure. Things that perish, he said mournfully to himself, and thought bitterly of his past life with its gaiety and frivolity. It, too, was among the things that perish. Life was a dreary emptiness. It was the old, old story. Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and the heart is restless till it finds its rest in thee. That tide which flows at least once in the life of every human being was surging round Francis. Happy they who, leaving all else, cast themselves into the infinite ocean of the divine will and design. End of section 1 Recording by Tom Hirsch